Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. It's been a difficult year for Buckingham Palace. First, there was the Harry and Meghan interview. There's a conversation with you... With Harry. ...about how dark your baby is going to be? Then, in April... We have just received a statement from Buckingham Palace confirming that the Duke of Edinburgh has died. Last month... The Sunday Times reported on an alleged cash-for-access scheme involving the heir to the throne. A former aide to the Prince of Wales has stepped down as a charity boss following allegations of cash for favours. It came at a time when Prince Andrew was being served with legal papers, which alleged that he'd sexually assaulted a young woman in 2001. The legal arguments surrounding the Queen's second son are not going away. With allegations of sexual abuse, a dubious friendship with a convicted paedophile and a court case now set to unfold in America, is it the end of the road for Prince Andrew? Should he ever be allowed to play a public role again? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Prince Andrew. No way back. Last month, amid a torrent of scandal and reports that he was hiding from lawyers at Balmoral, there was a rare bit of good news for the Duke of York. Breaking news coming to us from Buckingham Palace. Uh, Princess Beatrice has had her baby. She's had a little girl. The baby weighs six pounds and two ounces. Some much-needed happy news for the York clan. Princess Beatrice gave birth to her first child, a daughter who she's named Sienna Elizabeth, on September the 18th. Roya Nikar is the Sunday Times royal editor. The Duke of York and the Duchess of York were both up in Balmoral with the Queen when Beatrice gave birth. And Sarah Ferguson came down pretty soon, actually, from Balmoral to see her new grandchild, as you'd expect. The Duke of York came down about two weeks later, which prompted much speculation that he was staying up at Balmoral while all this toing and froing was going on over service of court papers. Sources close to him say that's not the case and he was always going to stay up there for a planned holiday. But I think when you have your first granddaughter born, most people sort of assumed he might come down from Balmoral a bit sooner. There has been a lot of speculation about why he's been up in Balmoral over the summer. Is it a case of dodging the writ he's expecting? 
I think the timing for Prince Andrew was a bit unfortunate there because he always goes up to Balmoral every year. He goes up to stay with the Queen for a certain amount of time while she's there. This morning, new legal trouble for Britain's Prince Andrew. Virginia Roberts' chief free and outspoken accuser of the late convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein is now suing the son of Queen Elizabeth. The lawsuit was brought under the Child Victims Act to allege that she was trafficked to him and sexually abused by him. What was unfortunate for him was Virginia Giffray filed her civil case in August and almost immediately he went straight up to Balmoral. So that's either a massive coincidence or maybe the timing shifted to avoid him being served. Who knows? What was unusual was that he came down from Balmoral and went back up for a second time whilst all of this was going on and there was his legal team was saying he hadn't been served and seeking clarification. He doesn't normally go up twice. And then, of course, with Princess Beatrice having her baby and him not coming down straight away, it just sparked the rumour mill even more. But of course, now he has finally been served and accepted service. Ever since the lawsuit against Prince Andrew was filed last month, no one, apart from the prince and his legal team, knew whether the papers had been served on him. Tonight, we learn they were delivered two weeks ago to his home at Royal Lodge, Windsor. Well, after all that toing and froing and Virginia Roberts' legal team sending representatives over from America to the UK to leave documents with policemen at the gate at Royal Lodge, after the first court hearing, the judge just said, look, this isn't going to be an issue, that he will be served one way or another. And in the end, it was as simple as her legal team emailing his new lawyer in America, Andrew Brettler, with the papers. It was an email. It wasn't that hard. The Duke of York was newly represented by a high-profile Hollywood lawyer, Andrew Brettler. Prince Andrew's new lawyer was named this year in the Hollywood Reporter's Top 100 Power Lawyers and has, in the past, represented a number of high-profile men in the American entertainment industry who faced claims of sexual assault or misconduct. Mr Brettler told the court, we believe that this is a baseless, non-viable and potentially unlawful lawsuit. Unlawful, given she had a 2009 settlement with Jeffrey Epstein. The judge in the case has now ruled that Prince Andrew's lawyers can review that settlement, something that could potentially lead the case to collapse. But what are the charges that Prince Andrew is currently facing? Well, there is only one live civil case against him, and that is the case that Virginia Roberts Giffray, or Virginia Roberts, her maiden name, Virginia Giffray, her married name, has filed against him. The federal lawsuit filed Monday accuses Prince Andrew of sexually abusing Giffray on separate occasions when she was under the age of 18, knowing that she was a sex trafficking victim. She alleges that the royal sexually assaulted her on three occasions in London, New York and in the US Virgin Isles when she was 17. The suit also says the prince abused her at the invitation of Epstein and Epstein's longtime associate, Jelaine Maxwell. All these allegations he has always strongly denied. These are allegations she has made before, but this is the first time she's actually filed a civil case against him. Separate to that, in November, Ghislaine Maxwell, another one of Prince Andrew's former friends and a very close confidant and friend of Jeffrey Epstein, is facing a criminal trial in New York, facing allegations of assisting Jeffrey Epstein with sex trafficking. And there are no allegations against Prince Andrew in that case. Prince Andrew has not been charged with anything. But we know historically from the FBI prosecutors in New York that they have been very keen for some time 
to speak to Andrew as what they call a person of interest in that case. He's not a suspect of anything. I think they would just like to, to be able to speak to him and get some information from him about what he knew or didn't know with regards to his time spent with Jeffrey Epstein. I suppose what's surprising is that given how long now we've known about these rumours and how long the allegations have been around, it's only now that Virginia Dufresne actually filed for a civil case. Some people seem to, are implying that perhaps this is a, a problem he's created himself, not only with you know his alleged behaviour, but by going on the defensive quite so publicly with, with the Newsnight interview. We've come to Buckingham Palace in highly unusual circumstances. Normally, we'd be discussing your work, your duty. Take us back to that moment. How has all of this come about? Well, it's twofold, really. There was a change in legislation out in New York that enabled, helped her to bring this case, which I think was related to child victims, actually, under the age of 18. The other big question mark, I suppose, which goes back to that Newsnight interview you mentioned, is... During that interview, I think people remember various things from that interview, but one of the things that really stood out for a lot of people was that Prince Andrew categorically said... I I, I have no recollection of ever meeting her. Um, I'm almost, in fact, I'm convinced um, that I was never in trance with her. I can absolutely categorically tell you it never happened. Now, we had known for many years that photograph of him with his arm around her waist in London with Glenn Maxwell in the frame. And I think that by publicly putting any doubt on the fact he'd ever even met her, I think from the response we saw from Virginia Giuffre quite soon after that Newsnight interview, almost immediately she was giving television interviews saying, I'm calling BS on this because that's what it is. He knows what happened. I know what happened. And there's only one of us telling the truth. And I know that's me. By so publicly casting doubt on even having met her, it seems to have triggered something in her. And you could ask the question, would she have brought that civil case against him, which she has recently, if he hadn't so publicly cast doubt on even knowing her in that Newsnight interview? I mean, that interview does seem quite fateful for him now. We know that his role in the royal family as a public royal has completely changed as a result of it. I mean... Tell us uh, a a bit about how that interview was met by the royal household. What did Prince Andrew think of it and and what did the rest of the royal family make of it later? Well, Prince Andrew is reported to have told his mother, the Queen, that it was a great success, but it was met with complete and utter astonishment and disbelief throughout the royal family. And in fact, the Prince of Wales was on an overseas tour at the time. Questions about his brother dogged Prince Charles on his visit to Christchurch today. The Prince's royal tour this week has coincided with an unravelling scandal back home about his brother, Prince Andrew's relationship to convicted paedophile Geoffrey Epstein. It was very clear very quickly that the Prince of Wales and other members of the royal family had had no idea that interview was being recorded. And there was a lot of grey area around how much the Queen actually knew. Of course, she would have had to have given her permission to use the room in Buckingham Palace to record the interview, but did she actually know the details of what it was going to be about and what it was going to attempt to do? It took most of the royal family and certainly the Buckingham Palace press operation by complete surprise because they had been kept completely out of it. It was organised by Prince Andrew in his very small private office at the time, which no longer exists. But the fallout was immediate. The fallout growing from that interview with Prince Andrew, answering questions for the first time about his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Outside of Buckingham Palace, all is calm. 
But this morning, the UK remained shaken by one of the biggest royal scandals in years. One headline reading, the rise and fall of a party prince. Prince Andrew has since been stood down from royal duties, with British media reporting that came after a request from Charles. Tonight, a statement from the Duke of York himself accepted the magnitude of that error. I have asked Her Majesty if I may step back from public duties for the foreseeable future, and she has given her permission. That was very much at the Queen and the Prince of Wales and the Duke of Cambridge's after their discussions, they were all in an agreement he could not continue in that role after that. It does seem surprising to think he walked out of that interview thinking it was uh, a huge success, given how it, it went. I mean, just remind us of some of the headlines that went around the world. What, what were the bits of the interview that were so damning? I mean, I remember getting the transcript of that interview on the Saturday afternoon from the BBC. It was embargoed for us on the Sundays. And I read it and I, I couldn't quite believe what I was reading. But I have to say, watching it later that evening, actually watching it was even more staggering. Yes. I mean, the things, I don't know, it's hard to pick through the extraordinary phrases. It was a shooting weekend. A shooting weekend. Just a straightforward, straightforward shooting weekend. Straightforward shooting party, the alibi of the Pizza Express in Woking. Going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. A very unusual thing for me to do. I've never been, I've only been through Woking a couple of times um, and I remember it weirdly distinctly. As soon as somebody reminded me of it, I went, oh yes, I remember that. Being prompted by Emily Maitlis, do you regret your friendship with him and Prince Andrew saying? As far as uh, my um, association with him was concerned, it had um, uh, some seriously beneficial um, outcomes in areas have nothing or bear, have nothing to do with, with, with what I would describe as what we're talking about today. As was the failure to express any form of regret for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. This interview has been exceptionally rare. You might not speak on this subject again. Is there anything you feel has been left unsaid that you would like to say now? No, I don't think so. I think you've probably dragged out most of, the, most of what is required. It is astonishing, as you say, that he came out of it thinking he'd done very well, but I think that goes to the heart of one of the things that I covered in my piece for the Sunday Times magazine, his judgment calls, and his, as one former royal aide said to me, his supreme confidence in his own judgment. But I think we have seen over quite a few years that Prince Andrew's judgment has quite often let him down, and I think that Newsnight interview was one of those moments. It's clearly changed what the royal family and the Queen want him to be doing as a royal. It's changed his sort of public persona. How has it affected his private relationship with the Queen? We were always told that he was the favourite son. I think that favourite son, favourite child thing is a bit of a myth from the people I've spoken to in palace circles who say they never really knew where that came from and they've never actually seen it. In terms of his relationship with the Queen, she still loves him as a son and she still supports him privately. I think he's getting quite a lot of financial support from her as well as still living on her Windsor estate. And by all accounts, from what I've heard privately, that that relationship is unchanged. But it just shows you the Queen, still at the age of 95, sometimes faces criticism for not being as on the ball as she should be. I think how quickly she dealt with that matter shows quite the opposite. And even though she loves him as a son, and she knew how painful it would be to remove him from public life, she did it very quickly. And some people could say that was quite brutal. Others would say it was absolutely necessary. I believe she is very resigned to him never returning to public life, as are other members of the royal family. 
And how do they feel about him? I think the family relationships are still relatively strong. I think whenever you talk to sources or aides close to the Prince of Wales, they will tell you that they use the phrase, the Prince of Wales loves his brother like a brother. But in terms of him coming back to a public role, there's no support for that at all. And my understanding is that's the same in terms of his relationship with the Queen and certainly with the Duke of Cambridge, who has as much as a say in future decisions these days as the Prince of Wales sometimes on these big things. So I think his family feel a certain amount of sympathy for him and what he's having to endure in terms of press coverage and really the humiliation, I suppose, of being removed from public life. Coming up, what does the future hold for Prince Andrew? But first... Hi. I'm Josh Glancy, special correspondent for the Sunday Times, and it's my job to make the newspaper as interesting and entertaining as possible every Sunday morning. Whether reporting on British drinking culture or interviewing anyone from Joan Collins to Malcolm Gladwell to the class of succession, I love my job because it's so varied and I get to meet some of the most interesting people around and then share it with everyone else. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. You mentioned how swiftly the Queen changed Prince Andrew's role and took away many of his royal duties. I mean, just paint a picture for us, for people who aren't aren't avid royal watchers, of the sort of role he used to play. How would he spend his time as a prince? Well, before the Newsnight interview, he was doing several hundred engagements a year. And day to day, that would be anything from going to visit one of the regiments with which he's associated to working on his Pitch at Palace project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pitch at Palace 11. Who would have thought five years ago uh, that we would be where we are today? Which was all about linking investors with entrepreneurial young tech startups. He was very much part of the royal machine in terms of public engagements and official work on behalf of supporting the monarchy and on behalf of the UK government. And all of that has stopped. One of the surprising parts of his former job that hasn't stopped, though, is his role in the military. Why why is that and and how has that gone down? Well, this is the curious thing. It has stopped, but it technically hasn't. So he is no longer performing any public duties, and that's for the foreseeable future, quote-unquote, but I'm told that'll be forever. 
And yet, curiously, he still retains his honorary military commands. And he has quite a few honorary military commands with various regiments and parts of the armed forces. And one of the most high profile of those is his role as Colonel of the Grenadier Guards, which he took over from the Duke of Edinburgh, his father, in 2017. And what is very frustrating for several senior defence chiefs that I've spoken to is that the ongoing rumbling of rumour and speculation and bad press coverage and gaffes by Prince Andrew and this new Virginia Jeffrey case has just made his position with, you know, the armed forces completely untenable. And I did a story a couple of months ago over the summer where I was told by a very senior military official that the Queen had in fact let it be known she wanted him to retain that role with the Grenadier Guards, even though he can't do any public duties. And that really doesn't sit well with the military the military's view is they don't want to do anything that would upset the colonel-in-chief, the queen. queen. And I think you can look at something like the example of Prince Harry, who had to give up all his own military commands when he permanently stepped back from royal life. And things that were very close to him, his role with the Royal Marines, and that was very, very disappointing for him, very sad for him. And yet Prince Andrew, who is probably never going to return to public life, still maintains them. And I suspect that may be a slight blind spot of the Queen's there, because I don't think that will be a position that can continue forever. And his role as a trade envoy is now over. I mean, tell us a bit about that. How successful was he? And and do we know how he actually did the job when he was more active? I mean, that stopped some time ago. Prince Andrew is facing increasing pressure to step down from his role as the UK's special envoy for trade. The latest in a string of perceived misjudgments is his relationship with a convicted paedophile. He was forced to step back from that in 2011 when there were concerns being raised again about his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. And he had done that role for 10 years and travelled the world on behalf of the UK, on the UK government, supposedly to help encourage investment in British business and trade and promote deals. It's interesting. I mean, some people who I've spoken to say that He helped to open some doors and was quite good on the world platform like that. But there are quite a few others who you would mention his name in terms of of an overseas trip like that and really question how much use he was. It was noted that his trips abroad, supposedly on government business, seemed to go via ski slopes, top golf courses and other exotic locations. He wasn't called Air Miles Andy for nothing. What is an extravagant lifestyle? Travelling by private jet, using helicopters when you could take a train. But it is, it is again, it is the maximisation of my time for the uh, best value for money. It also led to all sorts of difficulties for him in terms of relationships he had with very rich businessmen or oligarchs who various publications would kind of question his relationship with them and he was constantly having to deny that he'd taken commissions in terms of deals. So very hard to gauge how much value for money he was for us traveling the world because of course you know those trips were not cheap. In the end the view was taken that he could no longer do that so he stepped back from that. I mean what are you hearing from foreign office types and diplomats? There were some senior diplomats over the years who said that Whenever Prince Andrew's name was mentioned in meetings, shall we get Prince Andrew into this? People would roll their eyes and go, please, no, we're going to have to get some very expensive hotel suites and he'll probably offend someone. He has a reputation, for better or for worse, of being quite full of himself when he was traveling the world and 
doing his role officially. And that didn't always go down so well across the globe. Not quite so diplomatic. I love the mention in your piece about the sort of effort that went into putting him up, which is probably Mm. quite different to others. Well, I think it probably is. One source I spoke to who had had breakfast with Prince Andrew in his hotel suite in Qatar said to me that it was quite a grand affair, even in a hotel breakfast room. And he had all his own jams with him with silver lids. He's a prince and he likes to find the things in life and hatch them with him when he traveled the world as a as our trade envoy. <laughs> I mean, I, I always travel the world with silver plated jam jars. Oh, me too, man. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's the only way to do it. So how does he spend his days now? You know, now that the public engagement the the trade missions, the military duties have all vanished. Well, it's a very good question. For a few weeks over the summer, obviously he was up in Balmoral on holiday with the Queen, doing country sports and shooting and walking and having a nice time with his mother. When he's at Royal Lodge, there's a lot of time on his hands. Occasionally he goes out riding around Windsor Great Park. But when I asked this question of a friend of his... I was told he does a lot of thinking. He's been doing a lot of work on himself, whatever that might mean. And obviously his time, I think, has taken up quite a lot at the moment with dealing and liaising with his his lawyers, his legal team, his PRs, his reputation management people to try and think, how on earth can I rehabilitate myself and deal with this big crisis? But as someone said to me, one of his friends said to me, he is climbing the walls. It has been uh, a hell of a fall from grace. One of the reasons it's been quite so dramatic, you know, that your article points to is that he didn't do much to make himself popular on the way up. What What is his reputation like amongst the people who have dealt with him closely? Over the years, I mean, I have to be honest, whenever you would mention the Duke of York in conversations with royal aides or people in palace circles, you would tend to get the same sort of response, which was a sort of eye roll and a bit of a sigh. But when I was working on this piece and speaking to various people who had worked very closely with him while he was a working member of the royal family, I spoke to several people who had worked directly for him and for other members of the royal family as well, so could compare and contrast. And also speaking to people who dealt with him regularly on engagements, people in the military, people who'd helped him on various jobs, It was very hard to find anyone to say anything positive about him. I mean, that's remarkable. It is, because that's not, I have to be honest with you, from uh, more than 10 years in this job, that is not the kind of thing you hear about other members of the royal family. Even when staff move on or aides move into different jobs, there always tends to be a certain amount of respect for various members of the royal family they've worked for, because generally, most of them are treated quite well. But the impression I got from people I spoke to for this piece was of a man with a certain amount of arrogance, perhaps with not a huge amount of respect for most of his staff. And I didn't have to ask people that. I just asked them their impressions of the Duke of York and their experiences of the Duke of York. What were people saying? Well, one person recounted to me how when they had been working at Buckingham Palace, they had been crossing the forecourt of Buckingham Palace and Prince Andrew's Aston Martin came through the front gates and drove straight at him and some colleagues and they had to stop very quickly to avoid a collision with him and he sort of shouted out through the window, what are you doing, get out of my way. Another person who'd worked for him for quite a long time, actually, and had also worked for other members of the royal family, described him as a deeply unpleasant man. I mean, I can't attest to that because I don't personally know the Duke of York. But this person sort of compared their treatment at the hands of the Duke of York with other members of the royal family, like the Prince of Wales and, and Prince William, 
who they say treat their staff with respect, straight out of the handbook of the Queen was the phrase. But that's in stark contrast to the Duke of York. Almost running people over is a real mark of disrespect. The military sources you were talking to in particular, what were they saying about him? How do they describe him? Well, they're not fans, man. I mean, put it that way. <laughs> we can bleep this if you like. I think, well, there are a few bleeps then for what I'd say people told me. What can I say to you? He is not popular in the armed forces either. Despite that reputation, the prince is said to believe that he still has a role to play in the royal family. But it's unclear what he thinks that role would be. He feels he will be able to clear his name. He feels he will be able to resolve this case. And he feels if he can do that and put all of it behind him, that he would like to be able to come back. And I was told the phrases were support the monarchy with a public role and serve his country. I don't really know how he envisages that. The majority of his official patronages severed ties with him after the interview with Newsnight. The few that he's still involved with, I'd be surprised after all this reputational damage whether they would still want to continue working with him. There are polls done now and then, and the majority of the British public do not want to see him return to a public role. So I think in terms of the royal family of reading the room here, he may see himself and voice a desire to come back to public life, but I don't think the public are up for it. It was interesting when we sort of saw him almost trying to rehabilitate himself after the death of Prince Philip. The tributes have been absolutely amazing that, 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 that I've seen and the messages that I'm getting are absolutely outstanding. I don't know whether he was trying to rehabilitate himself. I think he, as a son who'd lost his father, quite naturally felt he should be able to pay tribute to his father in the way that his other siblings were. And I just want to say how grateful I am, we are, um, for these tributes. Um, uh, he was a remarkable man. Um, I loved him as a father. It was interpreted as an attempt to rehabilitate his image because we hadn't seen him on camera for the best part of a year and a half. And there was quite a lot of panic in royal circles around that because he was making it very clear he wanted to do this, he wanted to go on camera and say the things he wanted to say about his father, which really broadcast on national TV. And that was seen as a sort of, is he trying to return to public life? And I think there was kind of nervousness about that. But, you know, it went ahead and it happened. But we've not heard from him since. And I don't imagine we will anytime soon on anything else other than an official response through the legal process to this case. For the royal family, I mean, this comes at quite a sensitive moment. There's been, over the course of this year, apart from the tragedy of the death of Prince Philip, we've had all the problems around Prince Harry and Meghan moving continent and striking it out on their own. We've recently had a number of scandals involving Prince Charles being covered in the Sunday Times. How does this affect their, their future, really? My personal view is I think the Prince Andrew issue is unhelpful and reputationally each time it comes up, it's damaging for the monarchy, but I think they'll weather it. I don't think it will cause major lasting damage to the institution. I think they will be able to sort of continue with the way they go about things, particularly in terms of, you know, the Prince of Wales's streamlined vision of a future monarchy. Well, he's lost three members of the royal family unexpectedly with Harry, Meghan and Andrew. So it's going that way. But it's not great, particularly when you look forward to next year and the Queen is preparing to celebrate her Platinum Jubilee. That'll be a big national celebration. You know, if this case is still going on and hasn't been resolved by then, and we know that court cases take a very long time, that will be a fly in the ointment rumbling away behind the scenes and very publicly 
it's unlikely that Prince Andrew will be involved in the public, outward-facing moments of the Platinum Jubilee, things like Trooping the Colour, which will be kicking it off, because he won't be back to public life then. So it will always be there. I think the monarchy, you know, the Queen has weathered a lot of storms in her 70-year reign, and I think she'll weather this one too. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Sunday Times royal editor, Roya Nikar. You can read more of Roya's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer today was Asia Fuchs, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any thoughts on what you've just heard, or any ideas and issues that you'd like us to look into, then please do drop us a line. You can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.